everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm here every week. My name is Jeff. Also here every week is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? I am I am doing very well, Jeff. I uh, uh, am enjoying some, some watching. We went back and we watched some this weekend baseball and enjoying reminiscing about some fun baseball times and uh, I've been buying a few cards and just kind of getting myself involved in the game as much as I can during a lockout, you know? Yeah. What was I, I was watching uh, some, I was watching uh, Puerto Rican league winter ball. It yeah. was on, uh, it's on YouTube. Some of the games are on YouTube live I was watching some of that. And uh, it was fun to watch. And there's, there's other South American. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of baseball during the winter. Australian League will kick off here in a little bit as well. A lot of, a lot of baseball. We've got a lot of baseball to talk about this week. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question, Mark. Because Uh-oh. it's it, it's become a big thing, not only in baseball anymore. It used to just be in baseball. You know, when it when it's Bobby Bonilla Day and, and Bobby's getting paid all the way through 2035. But it got me to thinking. Could the Mets trade Bobby Bonilla today? <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I'm not sure what they'd get in respect. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just to get it off the books, some team instead of trading money says, "Hey, listen, we will take over Bobby Bonilla's contract." But I mean, technically, could 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 that happen? I think Griffey's still getting paid for a couple more years too. He could get <laughs> traded and. Come back for a just like a September game or something, but oh. I'm wondering. Well, I'm all if they for could. it, man. Well, I mean, obviously nobody can be traded right now, but w- when this lockout eventually ends, I'm wondering if Bobby Bo's on the block. <laughs> well, you know, it's always something that another team should have in their back pocket just to sweeten a deal, just in case. Yeah, just we'll take Bobby too. By the way, we're doing something on on social media, on on Twitter and Instagram. I am posting a Ricky Henderson picture of the day, one a day until this lockout is over. So oh, nice. make make sure you make sure you if you're not following us already, do go ahead and do so. It's in the show notes at Two Strike Noise on all the socials. Follow us, and you can see amongst other things a picture of Ricky Henderson, a new one. I'm not just posting the same one every day because that would be. <laughs> <laughs> kind of defeat the purpose would, of something yeah, to look I mean, forward to. You know, some people would enjoy it, but yeah, it's a different one every day with a little bit of comment or a story about it. Look out for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, Mark, this show is debuting on December 7th. Now, this is a day that will live in infamy if you're a history buff. It is the anniversary of uh, when Pearl Harbor was attacked and uh, drew the United States into World War II. I was the I, I almost did for my story today. I'm going to save it for for another time. Uh, a story about the St. Louis Browns moving to Los Angeles well before the Dodgers or the Giants did. But that was uh, and it was going to happen. They had the support. But that uh, vote happened the day after Pearl Harbor was attacked. So on advice from the St. Louis Browns, they said, don't vote for it. We're not going anywhere. A lot of things happened on December 7th, but I want to talk about some baseball things. Yes, the situation uh, was not just an easy one. Let's just make decisions based on normal times, understandably so. Yeah, Yeah, we're not going to worry about moving a baseball team. There's more important things right now. So a couple of things, though, happened uh, quite a few years before that. In 1939, uh, 
So two things happened. First of all, it was winter meetings going on at this point in 1939. And during this set of meetings, the BBWAA elected Lou Gehrig, who played in his final major league game earlier that year on June 30th. They elected him to the Hall of Fame, waiving the five-year waiting period. Of course, Lou Gehrig suffered from ALS at age 36, the Yankees' first baseman, at that point was the youngest to ever be enshrined in the halls of Cooperstown. He was later surpassed by Dodgers pitcher Sandy Koufax, who was five months younger when he was elected in 1972. Koufax, uh, yeah, he also had a very short career. Yep. and But a uh, dominant one. Yeah, dominant and, and walked away. Another thing happened in the same winter meetings. At the urging of Senators owner Clark Griffith... The other American League owners enacted a rule prohibiting the league's pennant winner from buying, selling, or trading players during the following season. So this is obviously before free agency. Teams would make trades or teams would just release a player and somebody else could sign him. But this is this is quite a rule. I'm <laughs> I'm I mean, I can think of a lot of modern teams that would love this rule. Hey, we won, but we've got a lot of free agents this year and they're all going to leave. But if if this was the case, you win the World Series and you're stuck with that team for the entire next year. Right. Interesting take. It had the effect that they wanted because the Yankees, who had won the World Series the year before, finished in third place in 1940 because they couldn't do anything. So I don't know how long that lasted. I doubt that lasted very long, but I had never heard that of that rule before i thought that was an, an interesting uh, take on <laughs> trying to trying to create parody yeah that's uh, i had not heard that either all right i did want to mention mark you know we like to we like to give shout outs to other podcasts that we listen to and i am i am utterly shocked that we have not heard of this podcast i sent them uh, i sent a link to you to listen to some of them uh, there is a podcast called the 1988 tops podcast now, Mark, what would you think of a podcast named the 1988 Tops Podcast would be about? Um, my guess is going to be the periodical table. That's close. Uh, my guess is it was going to be at the 87 Tops set. But no, it is, in <laughs> fact, the 1988 Tops set. They go through and they just pick a player, a card, not even a player, but they pick a card from the set and then they do an entire show about that player so they can really go in depth. I just wanted to, to give a shout out to everybody if you're looking for more baseball podcasts. I mean, this is right up our alley. I've listened to several episodes now. I listened to one about Jack Lazarko. And Jack Lazorko, it's funny because the, uh, the, the hosts did exactly what we do. Every time we pull a Jack Lazorko card, we go, never heard of him. <laughs> which i thought was hilarious when i was listening to this and they had the exact same reaction but yeah it's it's really good uh, if you want to listen to that i'll throw the note uh, the link in the show notes they can be found at tops 1988 on twitter if you're interested and you can find their podcast wherever you get our podcast so after this one's done head over there and and uh, you can listen they, they don't have a ricky henderson or nolan ryan episode done yet Oh, well, there you go. We might be able to assist. Yeah, I, I think we're, we are completely open to to, uh, to guests on any podcast if you want to talk about either <laughs> of those players. 
uh, yeah, so 1988 Tops Podcast wanted to give uh, give everybody a heads up that that's a good good show. And if you like our, you know, we tend to be around 80s and, and 90s uh, and, and 2000s. They're they're right in that, you know, right in the in the same kind of time category. So, all right, Mark, let's head into trivia. I asked you a trivia question last week. I am sure you you don't have an answer because you never do. And, and I told you they're not the, the answer will not be yourself. Right. That's what threw me off. Yeah, that was, that's what was holding you back. Uh, the question that I asked last week is who holds the record for being ejected the most times as a player? So obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know that Bobby Cox has the old time record of being given the old Heath Ho. But that was 98 percent of them if not 100%, I didn't look, uh, was as a manager. So we are looking right. for the person who was ejected the most as a player. I gave everybody a hint that Gary Sheffield kind of leads the modern era with 33, but he ranks sixth all time. So, Mark, did you come up with anybody not named Mark A. Johnston? Well, uh, only because I received some answers in email this week that were accurate. So I have to admit, I would be cheating to give the right answer. Okay. You just admit you didn't have the correct answer before. I, I would have, but yeah. our, oh, our yeah, listeners totally. are so quick to answer. Yeah. Oh no, I'm, I'm buying that completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So the answer, and I, and I, I said this last week, I said, it's somebody that you, if you are listening to this podcast would have heard of. And the answer was Johnny Evers of the, the well-known Tinkers the Evers to Chance double play combination that never led the league in double plays turned, but still have poems written about him. Johnny Evers was ejected 58 times as a player. Goodness gracious. Slow it down, Johnny. I'm wondering if they never led the league in double plays turned because he was making a lot of neighborhood plays and they were being called safe and then he'd be ejected. Well, you know, when they first tried instant replay back then, yeah, uh, it didn't work so good because it was done by like one of those court appointed. Yeah, they were just uh, drawings. Artists. Yeah, <laughs> they were just an etch a sketch artist was right. was drawing them. Yeah, so Johnny Evers, fifty eight. Number two is Heine Zimmerman, who I am not not familiar with. Then Jimmy Pearsall, our favorite Jimmy go. Pearsall, thirty six. And then you go all the way down. You've got Bill Dolan, who we've talked about. And Larry Doyle, who I think of Larry Doyle, I think of uh, Major League more than <laughs> Harry Doyle. Harry yes. Doyle. Well, they're close. <laughs> and then there is Gary Sheffield at number 33. So the answer is Johnny Evers. We got answers the very next day. I could have sworn that this would have taken a couple of days, but uh, we got a couple of our usual crowd, Brian Krause, Chris Cook, Marco Sines, and Omari Robertson. A new one, a new name. I love it when we get new names in here. All got that correct. Congratulations uh, to everybody. I, I'm thinking, Mark, maybe next year after we get through the new year, we start keeping a little tabulation of who gets correct answers. And for so many correct answers, they get to ask the trivia question the following week so that we don't have to Ooh, do as much work. I, I like that. Maybe we could even have a, like I have a, a special prize I could throw in that's on eBay right now that I can't sell my Jose Quintana autographed Angels jersey. Now, uh, how is that not just, how is there not a bidding frenzy? 
I know. This. I've only got it at fourteen ninety nine. No one's even taking a look at it. <laughs> Not even his mom. Does his mom know? I think she has one. Oh. I, I I texted her, oh, but you, text- uh, you know, we could throw in one of my favorite uh, pieces of memorabilia as such. Just uh, by the way, Jose Quintana, if you're listening, feel free to come on the show. We'd love to love to. Yeah, we'll talk about your jersey. Yeah, we'll talk about your jersey. All right, I got a new trivia question for you here. This one, I'm not sure how hard or easy this one's going to be. So let's let's throw it out there and let's see. Uh, my question for you, Mark, is who is the last player active in professional sports that was drafted by the Montreal Expos? So I phrased that very carefully. Yes. I'll read the question one more time. Who was the last player active in professional sports that was drafted by the Montreal Expos? I don't believe there are any more Expos playing. I think, wasn't Ryan Zimmerman the the last? I don't even think he played for the Expos, but he was drafted by the Expos. Uh, Bartolo Colon, I think, was the last. Yeah, the last Expo uniformed player that yes. wore a an expo jersey you are correct but i think i think ryan zimmerman was the last to have been drafted to play in the major leagues now what's amusing is i do know the answer to this but i'm not going to say it I, I, if you want to edit it out you can you, i'll throw it out there all right so we will uh we'll we'll give you the answer next week we'll see if if mark actually does know the answer and i just FYI, he told me what it was, and uh, I've edited it out, but he is correct. So now everybody is under some pressure, Mark. Because well, it's, it's kind of a weird thing because it's almost tradition for me to get the trivia wrong. It's not even tradition. It's just expected. Right. It's, it's both, actually. I, I you know, I, I always wait for that moment. Hey, here we go. The trivia is wrong, and everybody can get a good laugh at my expense. So, yeah. So you're going to really have to come up with some with with an answer here people because mark has already gotten it correct and that just is it doesn't happen so (laughs) thanks man i have a lot of confidence in you too (laughs) all right let's let the grounds here come out and do their stuff uh we're we're playing on uh on uh, on turf today so they they just have to sweep the dirt from around the, the cutouts to get ready to go and then drag it so mark today I want to talk about somebody that I've had on my list for quite some time. He's a contemporary player, uh, retired yes. in in the, in the mid nineties. We'll talk about that, but he was very well known uh, as a player. He is still well known today. He's uh, done ESPN games. He is a uh, broadcaster, the everyday color guy for the Phillies on their TV network. And I'm talking about none other than uh, John Martin Cruck. Crucky, the Crucker, or Jake, as he is known, which one of the most uh, entertaining human beings to ever put on a baseball jersey. Yeah, and and whenever I, I mentioned one of his nicknames is Jake, whenever you see him just being goofy, that is Jake Cruck. That's his. Ah. This is alter ego. We'll get into that. Let's uh, let's just talk about John Cruck first. He was originally drafted by the Pirates in 1981, but he did not sign. Uh, He changed his mind later that year when the Padres drafted him in the supplemental draft of the same year. But I guess he had done some soul searching. Uh, He kicked around in the minors 
until he finally made the Padres out of spring training in 1986, where as a rookie, he slashed 309, 403, and 828 in his rookie year, but he only came in seventh in the rookie of the year voting with those numbers, which was kind of a shock to me. Those are some some really good numbers. Do you have any idea, Mark, who finished above John Cruck in the National League rookie of the year balloting in 1986? 86, um, boy, let me think, Jerome Walden? Nope, I think that was 89. Oh. Um, man, that's a tough one. Was it Billy Joe Robido? <laughs> Brewers legend, Billy Joe Robido. <laughs> well, yeah, they were the AL then, though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this, not a single Hall of Famer finished above him. He tied for seventh with Jim Tusilowitz on Deshaies, Show favorite. Barry Larkin, there's your one Hall of Famer, and Bruce Ruffin. But uh, the rookie of the year in 1986 was Todd Worrell. He ran away with it. 98% of the ballots had him on. Really? Yeah. Let's see. After that, he went and he went nine and 10, but he had a 2.08 ERA and 36 saves as a rookie. After that, it was Robbie Thompson for the Giants, Kevin Mitchell with the Mets, Charlie Kerfeld. With the Astros, who in 1986, I would have sworn was already 45 years old, but I guess not. <laughs> then uh, uh, the two in front of, uh, of in front of Cruck were Will Clark and Barry Bonds. Huh. Hey, guess who finished second in the American League Manager of the Year voting that year? Um, Tony La Russa? Last week's guest, none other than Bobby Valentine. Oh, Bobby, friend of the show. Congratulations. I hope you all listened to that, by the way. That was fun. Yeah, and we've got some other stuff that we're gonna we'll tell you about here after uh, after we're through with this, where you can get more more uh, Bobby Valentine stuff. But uh, all right, let's get back to John Crook. So Crook spent a decade in the major leagues, which to me, it, it just it seems like he played a lot longer than ten years. But maybe that's just because he packed so much into that decade as both a player and like a goofball that it just he was he was always in he was always in the news. Those first three years in San Diego were great. He hit for average, had a little pop, walked a lot, and his defense was great. But something was different in 1989. His average sat below 200, and he was just not the same person he'd been before. The goofy, happy-go-lucky guy with that 80-grade mullet, it just wasn't there anymore. Well, there's a reason for that. For five years, Kruk had spent the offseason playing winter ball in Mexico while still playing for the Padres. A young bachelor in San Diego, he shared a house with two of his buddies that he grew up with in West Virginia. Now, despite John being a big leaguer, these two buddies, they seemed to always have money and they would take care of the bills when everything went out on the town and John didn't think anything of it. Well, he heard some stories about some craziness one time when he was down in Mexico playing winter ball uh, in 1988. But he didn't think about it. He didn't think much about it. He heard there had been some some parties and maybe some drugs involved at the house. Didn't think anything about it. Eventually, he comes home. His roommates are gone. And the FBI shows up at batting practice one day and shows John a picture of one of these roommates robbing a bank. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So the FBI told him that this roommate in particular, who was on the lam, by the way, at this point, had gotten into drugs pretty bad and had become a bit of a, quote, gun-toting psychopath, end quote. Can you be a bit of a gun-toting psychopath? 
I think you're just entirely one. You're, you got to be all in if you're a gun-toting psychopath. <laughs> I mean, to get that absolute distinction, you've got to earn it. Yeah, you're not. You can't really be on the fence with that. I agree. He's He was a full-on gun-toting psychopath. Oh, yeah. He also told people that he was pretty sure that Croc was the person that had given him up to the feds, and he was coming after him. So uh, he was a little distracted in 1989, to say the least. His roommates were eventually captured in September later that year, but Croc really kept to himself the entire year. He only told one teammate, Randy Reddy, and he told the skipper Jack McKeon. Now, he and McKeon, though, did not have a good relationship. And McKeon, this would should come as no surprise. You know, he was 100 years old at this point already. And just like an old school, like, tough guy, he basically told him, suck it up. Which is kind of hard if you've got a full-on gun-toting psychopath on the lam who thinks you've turned him into the, to the feds and is looking for you. <laughs> So this was also the season the Padres traded Kruk to the Phillies, along with the aforementioned Randy Reddy, for Chris James, who is the epitome of an average major league player with his lifetime 99 OPS+. The trade, though, ended up being a match made in heaven. Blue-collar town in Philadelphia, blue-collar type guy in John Kruk. Kruk lockered next to Darren Dalton, Lenny Dykstra, and Mitch Williams. The gang was dubbed the Macho Row. And they were instant cult heroes. A lot of hair between these guys, if I'm being honest. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And a lot of chew. A lot of bodily functions going on. (laughs) Those guys always had fat cheeks, didn't they? Yeah, Yeah, they were not the cleanest cleanest crew. Kruk was a three-time All-Star in Philadelphia. And one of those three appearances, of course, produced the matchup against Randy Johnson in Baltimore in the All-Star Game in 1993. Johnson's first pitch. Croc was not comfortable in the first place. He had said before the game he was not excited to face Randy Johnson. That big lefty throws 100 miles per hour, doesn't always know where it goes. First pitch to John Croc from Randy Johnson is 10 feet over John Croc's head. And uh, after that, he was not very excited about the rest of the at-bat. Would you say his heart is palpitating a bit? <laughs> Look at the next step. I don't blame John one bit on his right leg. <laughs> he bailed out again at the breaking point. He wants no part of Randy Johnson. None. Is no. it this kind of response? I don't think so. You knew that was gone. John had no chance. <laughs> and Johnson works a one, two, three inning. This is a great clip. Like, both benches are just busting a gut during this at bat i mean everybody i'm sure feels for Cruck because they've probably all faced randy johnson but it's just funny because you know Cruck is bailing before johnson throws any of the other pitches <laughs> and it's it's hilarious to look on johnson's face like he's a hundred percent dead serious you know staring him down and then he just lets these pitches it was it was hilarious yeah well that's what i wanted to uh, one of the strangest things about this is as he walked off the mound randy johnson actually broke into a smile and i did not know that he had face muscles that would allow him to smile right so that was that was the biggest shock of that whole thing this is a quote from from Cruck after the game about that at bat he said quote when i stepped into the box i said all i wanted to do was make contact And after that first pitch, all I wanted to do was live. And I lived. So I had a good at-bat, end quote. (laughs) Good for him. 
Now, obviously, if you've seen a picture of John Kruk, you know that he shops in the Husky section of Mervyn's. Not a svelte guy. All-Star game in 1993. Same All-Star game we just talked about. And he is walking onto the field to have a, a team photo taken. And Tommy Lasorda hollers at him to wait, to wait up. And he says, quote, wait up. I want to walk with you so that I can look real thin. <laughs> but this is great. This was this was Crux's response, like just right off the top of his head, bang bang. He goes, "Okay, you're still going to be really short, though." <laughs> so just two guys. I mean, they. I'm sure they would have uh, keep everybody entertained in the same room. By the way, Crux also went on to do commercials for Nutrisystem, just like just like his boy Tommy there. That's right. 1993 also saw Kruk and the Phillies advance to the World Series, where they lost to the Ricky Henderson-led Blue Jays. Despite losing the series, baseball that season might have saved Kruk's life. Mitch Williams, earlier in the, in the 93 regular season, essentially picked Kruk off while Kruk was at first holding a runner. An errant pickoff throw that Kruk wasn't expecting hit him in the groin and broke his cup. A medical examination during spring training the next year revealed the presence of testicular cancer. Kruk underwent therapy and had the testicle removed. I'm assuming it was the one with the cancer. And he went on to recover and still hit over 300 for the season. After the 94 season, he became a free agent and he signed on with the Chicago White Sox. In 45 games, he hit 308, but he just wasn't having fun playing baseball anymore. Couldn't do it anymore. He's still hitting well, just wasn't into it. So he spoke to the team, and he decided that he was going to retire. He didn't want to wait till the end of the season because he, frankly, was not having fun playing anymore. So on July 30th in Baltimore, a lot of these things happen in Baltimore, apparently, he singled in his first at-bat, and after being stranded on third, he simply walked into the dugout and retired. Lifetime, he hit 300 exactly with a 134 OPS plus and a 25.1 war. Now, on this show, we love to talk about practical jokes and goofy players. We don't want to disappoint anybody here on with John Crux. So I've got some audio here that I had a great time putting together. Now, first off, Mark, Crux was on the Phillies at the same time as Larry Anderson, one of our absolute favorites. Can you just imagine what a cross-country plane ride would have been with those two that sounds dangerous i wouldn't even want to get on the bus from the hotel i'm imagining a lot of beer and a lot of practical jokes going on during those flights during his playing days and even after crook was a favorite guest on late night talk shows especially david letterman here is crook explaining to letterman about uh, what he ate while he played winter ball in mexico i mean i didn't speak any spanish i barely spoke english at the time i was Uh young So I learned, I knew one word, which was taco. Taco, yeah. Uh, at least I could eat. You know, I couldn't wash it down with anything, mm-hmm. but I can could, I could eat. Cerveza? I learned that one yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. I learned that the next week. Uh-huh. But, uh, we, you know, I, I went to this place with a guy to eat after a game. He spoke a little bit of English, and uh, I told him, I said, just whatever you get, get me. Yeah. Well, I got tacos. Sure. You know. Figured Can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> figured we'd expand a little bit, but he didn't want to. Well, we ate them and it tasted terrible. I was like, what the, what is this thing? Afterward, he tried to explain to me that it was a donkey meat. And you're saying it tasted strange. It, yeah. That's odd. Yeah. They, I, thought, they, I thought donkey was a little like chicken is what know, I heard. heard. No. You heard that expression, you are what you eat, so I guess I'm an ass. <laughs> there you go. Oh. So, speaking <laughs> of Mexico... 
<laughs> Kruk was also uh, later on uh, the Craig Kilborn show. And uh, he explained to Craig why he could no longer play baseball in Mexico as well. Got my life threatened and I got suspended for life. Did you? Yeah. You're suspended from Mexico, the country, for life? Well, I can't play baseball down there. Here's what happened. Walk uh, us through We this. found out a bunch of our players were getting paid off by the other team's owner to lose. Well, then we found out that the umpires were. I got some bad pitch. I mean, I complained a lot anyway. They called a bunch of bad pitches on me, and I just looked at the umpire, and he didn't speak any English. Yeah. The two magic words. Yeah. One begins with an F, the other one's you. Right. You know, I go back to the dugout, I get my glove to go back out, and he's still laughing. Someone, someone says F you to me, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But when they laugh, that kind of pissed me off. <laughs> And so we, so I kind of hit him, and, and oh, so well, they suspended me. I don't know what why. What does a kind of hit him? Is it, is it something like this, or is it one of these? Well, I didn't pat him on the ass. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this reminds me a lot of the stories that Don August told us about in uh, when he was playing in Taiwan with uh, buying players off and so oh, forth. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, again, here's another clip of of uh, John Crock on Letterman explaining why he hates playing in Colorado. Do you like playing when you go to Denver? Do you like playing the Rockies? Uh, What's the problem there? Yeah, there's no air. Yeah. I, uh, I was on base, and uh, there was a three and two count, two outs, so they made me run. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dave Hollins kept fouling balls off, and I, I kept getting more tired, and I told... I told the first base coach, I said, I'm not going. He said, well, you have to. I said, the hell I do. <laughs> the way the game is played, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was going to bend the rules there for a while. <laughs> so then he, then he hit a ball in the gap, and I had to try to score. And I slid into home, but it really wasn't much of a slide because I had no momentum left. It was just kind of a stick. <laughs> and I was safe, and Darren Dalton had to pick me up and help me back to the dugout. Yeah. As I said, he, he shops in the Husky section in Mervyn's. But he owns it. He owns it. All right, I got one more here, uh, one more audio clip of uh, John Crock on Letterman. He was there. He went there a lot. Dave, uh, Dave was one a baseball fan, but also, I mean, Crock is is a good a good guess. So uh, here is uh, John Crock explaining how he uh, settled upon wearing number 29 with the Phillies. Well, you tell me how you got to be 29. Oh, I had number 28, and we made a trade for Mitch Williams. And I saw where Ricky Henderson gave a guy $25,000 yeah. for a number. I, I got two cases of beer. Yeah. <laughs> so Mitch got number 28. Why did he want 29? He wanted 28. He wanted 28, I'm sorry. Because uh, his wife had a bunch of jewelry with number 28 on it. So. Oh, that's beautiful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Big 28 earrings, a lovely touch. The, the best part about it is now is, is he got divorced. Oh. Now he wears number 99, and the two pe- cases of beer are gone. Oh, that's too bad. It's a sad story. <laughs> Terribly sad. <laughs> well, look at that. He mentioned Ricky Henderson. He alluded to Ron Hassey. It's a good story from my from you know from my perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> It's funny. I actually recall watching that episode of Letterman and just thinking it was hilarious. He, he was always so entertaining. Maybe I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put the links to these uh, because these are, you know, five to ten minute appearances. And I just cherry pick some of it. I mean, he's got some good stories. Of course, he's being hilarious and so forth. But uh, I'll put I'll throw those in the show uh, show notes if you want to just. Maybe on your lunch break, you want to watch John Crock on, on, on I, David Letterman. It's, it's definitely worth it. 
One of my favorite crook quotes was uh, happened to him at a restaurant when he was uh, dining. And uh, a woman came up to him and, and he said, quote, I'm eating this big meal and maybe having a couple of beers and smoking a cigarette. A woman comes by the table. She recognizes me and she's shocked because it seems I should be in training or something. She's getting all over me saying, that's a professional athlete. You should be taking better care of yourself. Well, I lean back and I say to her, I ain't an athlete, ma'am. I'm a baseball player. <laughs> which, <That's> right. <laughs> which that is, uh, he, uh, he wrote a book. He co-wrote a book about his uh, time in baseball, which I really do need to read. And he uh, he named it, I Ain't an Athlete, I'm a Baseball Player. Well, the, the one, it, I actually found the date of it. It was uh, April 11th, 94. It was after he had had the cancer surgery. And he, he held up a white T-shirt with red letters in the clubhouse. And he showed Darren Dalton. And on the front, it said, if I can't play in the game, and he turned around the shirt and the back said, I'll take my ball and go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love it. He just never takes himself too seriously. He yeah. he makes fun of his uh, his body type. He makes fun of uh, really nothing is, is off limits to him. It's great. And the man was a good ball player, too. Obviously, he oh, could he hit. Could Look hit. at his numbers. Yeah, he could hit. He was really good defensively. You know, he actually, what, his, uh, asking you what, as if we've talked about it, in his uh, first, uh, his second full year, he stole 18 bases. That's amazing. He got caught 10 times, but <laughs> twice oh. in his career, he stole double digits. He ended up with 58 stolen bases, 31 caught stealing. But his on-base percentage lifetime was 397. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, and I, and I looked through his his numbers here. There were very few seasons where he struck out more than he walked. He only struck out 100 or more one time his entire career. Wow. Very patient, very good hitter. So Kruk has his own IMDB page, which is always exciting for me to see. But I was disappointed because he actually never appeared on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which, as we know, is the yardstick against which we judge all uh, media appearances. appearances. Yeah, That's pop, right. pop culture appearances. Uh, he did appear briefly, though, and spoiler, he is killed by Robert De Niro in the movie The Fan awful movie it was <laughs> but he's in it for like eight seconds he was also in the sandlot yeah okay not not that sandlot not the excellent version of it uh this was a direct-to-video movie called sandlot the homecoming which apparently involves time travel so you know it's good this is the description of the movie directly from imdb successful arrogant baseball superstar tommy santa santarelli travels back in time to 1976 to relive his days on the Sandlot baseball team and has the chance this time to choose friendship over glory. So, wow. I don't I mean, know. That just sounds like it would warm the heart, doesn't it? What are you, are you choosing friendship or glory? Probably glory. Yeah, Is it every a Hallmark time. movie? <laughs> every time. A, a friendship if it's a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Other than that, I'm going for glory. Yeah. People want to <laughs> be your friends when you've got the glory. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Uh, let's see. Apparently, Kruk played a coach in this. I don't know if he was the coach of the of, of the the main team or, or who. I don't know. I, I didn't I haven't watched this abomination, so I, I can't tell you uh, whether <laughs> or not. I can't tell you who he played. All right. So after he after he retired, 
he got into the restaurant business to John Crock as well. So first he opened up a restaurant with Mitch Williams, which I don't know how he, he talks about it in one of those uh, Letterman interviews. Uh, I couldn't find anything about it on the on the Internet. But what I did find is that Crux Philly Steaks is still open in Florida. So uh, he opened three shops, and in uh, 2018, he opened his first one in Naples. It became successful. Then he opened uh, two more in Fort Myers and Sarasota. They are still open today. The menu features mouthwatering items such as the Crucker, which has American cheese, fried onions, ketchup, and mayo. Now, I originally thought that that was all that was on the Crucker, and I thought that sounded pretty disgusting. But no, that's what goes on the Philadelphia cheesesteak that you're buying yeah there's a whole website here you can order online yeah they do also go ahead and just uh, they tell you who john uh, crook is if you're not familiar this is on his own web his own site here after the portly ball player hit the single (laughs) (laughs) jeez all right so that's it this was a little bit different because i didn't really go into depth about john crook's upbringing and the trials and tribulations. I mean, he had cancer. We, we went over that. But I was just so excited to pull some media for us to listen to. Uh, now, one of the great things I found while doing this, though, Mark, is I found about a half hour long video of John Cruck and Darren Dalton just goofing off throughout an entire season. So I have saved that. And uh, if you made mention of it earlier, we have on our YouTube channel, we also did it live on Twitter uh, last week or the week before, we sat and we watched some old uh, This Week in Baseball. Well, we're going to do that with some other things as well as more This Week in Baseball. We're going to sit and watch this this John Crook video because it is hilarious. A bunch of people we've talked about or maybe haven't mentioned we should. So that'll be coming up in one of our next rewatches. So make sure to put that on your list. Yeah, that's it. That's, that is uh, Mr. John Crook. All right, Mark, it is time. We are through the main uh, segment of the show, so we're going to head into our final segment of the show. It's uh, everybody's favorite. It's Wax Pack Zeros. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Pack Heroes. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the junk wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. 
And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? Well, you know what? I, I think I'm going to go with the Phillies in honor of, of Mr. Crook. All right, the Phillies. So I'm trying to figure out who is the natural rival of the Phillies. Pittsburgh? Ooh, but Pittsburgh's so bad and always are. I mean, does anybody uh, care? Wow. We're going to get letters from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm a little salty about that. I, I was thinking, you know, I know the I know Atlanta along with the Mets that, you know, when I was in Atlanta, those three teams all hated each other. Uh, maybe the yeah, maybe I go with the Mets. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the Mets in honor of our, our, our uh, guest last week, uh, Bobby Valentine. There you go. All right. So uh, you've got the Phillies. I've got the Mets. I've got two cards, uh, two packs of cards here. We're going 97 Donruss this year. Nice. These have the chance of having uh, a random insert of some sort. So we'll see how that goes. Remember what we are also doing. Uh, there are 14 cards in each of these packs, but we are only doing 10 cards to try to uh, expedite this uh, segment a little bit. So when we open these, Mark, you'll have to choose whether you want the uh, to remove the first or the last four cards. I am, as I have been doing recently, I'm going to choose to go first. All righty. So I'm going to allow you to choose whether you want the pack in my left hand or my right hand. I've been very, very fortunate with the right hand. All right. So I'm going to take the one in the left hand here. These are the cards that I actually have to cut the... Uh, the uh, first part. I'm going to, uh, by the way, I'm going to lose the final four cards uh, in this pack. And I can see the last card is your favorite Omar Vizquel. So we'll... Oh, for four. All right. The final four cards here in my pack. Let's just see who I am excluding. Uh-oh. So uh, one person I will not be getting credit for is Bernie Williams. Probably. Mm. Uh, Curtis Pride. Remember Curtis Pride, deaf sure. player. I liked him a lot. Uh, Ron Gant, we get him a lot. And then Omar Vizquel. So I'm a little worried because that's... Yeah, those could have gotten you some points. Those are some good uh, some good players there. Uh, let's look at the scoreboard here before we get started. You are currently leading. You have nine wins to my five. So I really need to get going here. All right, my first card is a pitcher for the Angels. We've talked about him before. It's Mark Langston. Yep, big fan. Always a hard-throwing lefty, um, you know, where I remember him mostly as a Mariner. Uh, Mark Langston, of course, was uh, in the trade with Montreal for Randy Johnson. Pretty impressive. Also, the second-round draft pick of the Seattle Mariners in 1981. Let's see. We are looking at the 1997 year. So for for Mark Langston that year, he was with the uh, the first year that they were the Anaheim Angels. I don't think they were... Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles. I think they were just the Disney Anaheims at that point. Two and four record, 5.85 ERA. This is not boding well. And that equates to a war of uh, minus uh, 0.1. Uh, so, good start. Yeah, nothing uh, Nothing else on this card is going to help me. So, this is a typical, uh, typical start for me. Uh, we've talked about him plenty of times before. So, we will go on to my next card who is a uh, shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays. It is Alex Gonzalez. Wow, yeah, I remember Alex Gonzalez. Um, and he was pretty slick defensively, if I remember right. Well, that's ne- when you're a slick, uh, you know, slick fielding infielder, that means that you have uh, no offense. So and you can't hit. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, nickname was Seabass. Okay. Easy jump from uh, Alex Gonzalez to Seabass. Uh, member of the 2003 World Series team with the uh, with the Marlins. So that's good. He had, let's see, he played in the big leagues for 16 years. Wow. Let's see, 1997. Well, he was a rookie in 1998. So this helps me in no way, shape, or form. That was helpful. Uh, there is a Alex Gonzalez who was an actor, but unfortunately that is not uh, our Alex Gonzalez. Uh, let's see, is also nicknamed Gonzo. That one makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. All right. So I, I get nothing there from the card or from his numbers, but uh, looking at the card, he is wearing L flip down sunglasses. So I'm going to take that, and uh, I will get the uh, get the extra point to or, uh, tenth of a point to get me back up to zero. Next, we've got somebody that uh, I'm fairly certain played with your Mariners. Uh, he's got eye black on, which I am a big fan of. It is Darren Bragg. Sure, Darren Bragg played with the Mariners. And uh, was it Pirates? Uh, well, he's with the Red Sox here in this picture. Uh, let's see. In his 11 years in the big leagues, he played for Boston, Seattle, Atlanta, the Mets, Colorado, St. Louis, San Diego, Cincinnati, and the Yankees. So, uh, yeah. He played. I was trying to name a team he didn't play. He, he played. Uh, he played for quite a few teams. He was drafted by the Mariners in '91 and, and came up in '94. Played his college ball at Georgia Tech. They have a good baseball program. 1997 with Boston, 153 games. He hit 257 and 87 OPS plus, nine home runs, 57 RBI. I'm back to just saying RBI. I'm not making fun of. <laughs> <laughs> runs that it ends and uh, all of this equates to a war of 3.4 uh, as i mentioned he's got the eye black on so that's going to get me a 3.6 from darren bragg i'll take it i was not expecting a 3.6 out of bragg no neither was i uh bragg uh, apparently now heads a company called the hit club in connecticut where he works with kids and high schoolers on hitting he also has a company called thrive sports and fitness hmm. so if you're in the uh, Connecticut area, look for uh, look for Darren Brown. Next card is a Cardinal. Oh, well, this is good. It's probably not going to get me much, but uh, it is somebody that we no doubtedly think is a twin more than a Cardinal. But here it is, Gary Gaetti. Ah, yes, third baseman. Real, you know, he had a he had a real solid glove. He he, if it got to him, he was going to pick it up. Let's see, Gary Gaetti, uh, manager of the, the uh, Skeeters, the Sugarland Skeeters at one point, 20 years in the big leagues. Wow. Wow. Half of it was, was with Minnesota, 10 years with Minnesota. In 1997, spent the entire year with St. Louis, was their regular third baseman, hit 251, 85 OPS plus, had 17 homers and uh, 69 RBI. And that equates to a war of 1.9. Uh, nothing on this card is going to add or subtract anything. So uh, I will take the 1.9. All right, so I am at 5.5. My next card is pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Andy Bennis. Andy Bennis, yeah. He, I remember him coming into the league, and it was a lot of hype. And he, he was actually a very good pitcher. And I, I remember it was like, one of the first big trades, if not the first big trade the Mariners ever made down the stretch was to get Andy Bennis. First round draft pick of the Padres in 1988. He was in the big leagues the next year in 1989. 
Wow. That's pretty impressive. 1997 with St. Louis, he went 10 and 7, a 3.10 ERA. I like where this is headed. 175 strikeouts and a 135 ERA plus. I'm, I'm digging that. Ooh. All of this equates to a war of 4.1. Nice one. By far my best effort in quite some time. Uh, I can see here that we've gone through his Wikipedia page several times, so we're not going to go through that again. Now, this I am very excited about. This could be a big, uh, this could be a big, big one for me. Here he is with Cleveland. It is Manny being Manny, Man Ram, Uh Manny Ramirez. And he had some big, big years, man. Yeah, so Manny, 19 years in the big leagues. Uh, Let's see here, in 1997, he had been an all-star once, but unfortunately not this year. But (laughs) in 150 games, he only hit 328. On base of 415 and an LPS plus of 144, 26 home runs, 88 RBI, 79 walks. I think this is going to be good for me. That's just someone you don't want to face at the plate right there. Yeah, definitely not. That equates to a war of 4.6. Nothing else on this card is going to get me anything, but I'm in, I'm in double digits, which rarely happens these days <laughs> at 14.2. I think, you know, we talked about being able to maybe trade for Bobby Bonilla. I think if somebody were to sign Manny right now, he would still have to sit out 50 games uh, as part of a drug suspension. That <laughs> I he, think you're right. I think he just retired rather than uh, than wanting to do it. Uh, let's see. I know I know the A's signed him, but he never got called up. And then he went and I think he played in Korea or somewhere overseas for a while. But wow, there was a 10-year period, though, where Manny Ramirez was... One of the scariest guys on the planet. Oh, let's see. Yeah, in 2017, he played for an independent Japanese league. Oh, wow. That's different. Yeah, he did not finish the season as they tend not to do. And then he went back and he played in uh, Taiwan. And then remember, we we did report when he signed with the New Zealand-based team of the Australian Baseball League a couple years ago, but they didn't play because of COVID. Yes. All right. So uh, next I have got, oh, I've got a Hall of Famer. Very excited about it. I don't, I've been hearing a lot about him recently simply because he admitted to taking PEDs, but he was still a first bout Hall of Famer. Well, guys like uh, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire still, you know, are not in. But here it is, catcher for the Rangers, Yvonne Rodriguez. Pudge, Irod, whatever he was, he had an amazing arm. Not a bad hitter either. Yeah, he was a he was a good all around catcher. Let's see. In 1990, he made his debut at age 19. Uh, 1997. Wow, he had a stretch of of 10 years in a row when he made the All Star game. Uh, 1997 was one of those years. 150 games as a catcher. That's a lot of games. Hit 313, 484 slugging for a 114 OPS plus, 20 home runs, 77 RBI. Got some MVP votes, uh, won a gold glove that year, and was an all-star, so that'll help me out there. There's two-tenths of a point right off the bat. A 6.5 war. So, plus the Hall of Fame, that'll be a 7.7 for me. Very nice. Bumps me up to 21.9. All right, next we've got one of his teammates, and this is great because... Uh, this is taken on a turn back the clock game for the Rangers, and it is Juan Gon, Juan Gonzalez. 
One was uh, a big man, and uh, boy, when he would get that bat speed going with those long arms, you never knew where that ball was going to land. Yeah, some uh, interesting things on Juan Gonzalez in that Bobby Valentine book. Let's see, 1997, got some MVP votes. I like that. He hit 296, uh, 131 OPS plus, 24 doubles, 42 home runs, 131 RBI. And uh, I like where this is headed. Let's see what that is. War-wise, only 2.7. The defense coming into play there. Yes, it's starting to add up for you, though, man. Yeah, so I am at 24.6. I've got two cards left, the first of which is pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, Osvaldo Fernandez. Okay, I have nothing to say there. Are you familiar with Osvaldo? Uh, I am familiar with Osvaldo because I remember Osvaldo. It's uh, kind of a unique name. He is Cuban. Uh, let's see. He pitched in the big leagues for four years, two with San Francisco, two with Cincinnati. 1997 for the Giants, he went 3-4 and four with a 4.95 ERA and 84 ERA plus, and that equates to a war of a minus .7, you dirty, <laughs> dirty dog. Ouch. I almost uttered our first swear word on this podcast right there. <laughs> Osvaldo, that's not cool. All right, and my final card of this pack is somebody that you're going to know quite well. He is your current manager of your Seattle Mariners. It's Mr. Scott Service. Service, who, if I know his career well enough, isn't going to get you a double-digit point. No, he's uh, probably not. Here he is with the Cubs, uh, pretty much a backup catcher. Let's see, 1997. Well, you know, 1997, he appeared in 122 games. He hit 260 for a catcher at that point. That's like hitting 300. Yeah, right. Not that bad. Six home runs, 45 RBI. Let's see what that equates to. That is a war of a positive .6, and there's nothing else that's going to help me out there. So uh, that will give me a total of 24 and a half which I got to say is pretty good for what I've been doing recently. <laughs> no, that's respectable for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's go ahead and cut open your pack here as well. Uh, which would you like to remove, the first or the last four players in this pack? Let's get rid of the top four. Top four. Okay. You know, it's probably going to help you here. The first player on here that you're going to lose is Mark Johnson. <laughs> hey, that makes sense. I don't want a Mark Johnson on my team. Yeah. Then you got uh, Mark Carrion. That might have given you some. Jeff Supon and Jeff Brantley. I, I must. I think I did all right there. Yeah, I think you did. Because that uncovers the fifth card, which is your first card. And that is a Hall of Famer. It is the closer for the Padres, Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman, yeah, about as dominant of a closer as, as I've ever seen. The Hoff. You remember what the Hoff's uh, entrance music was? Baywatch? <laughs> no, it was <laughs> Hell's Bells by ACDC. Oh. Remember, he uh, came up with the Marlins in 93 and was traded midway through the season. Great trade there for the Fish. Uh, let's see. Did, wasn't Sheffield included in that trade, I think? Uh, let's yeah, see. Yeah. Traded with... Andres Bruman and Jose Martinez to the Padres for Rich Rodriguez and Gary Sheffield. Actually, you know what? Both teams kind of got a good, good deal there with 
two of the players. Uh, 97, San Diego went 6-4, and four, a 2.66 ERA, 37 saves, and a ERA plus of 148. That's very nice. That will give you a war of 3.1. He is a Hall of Famer, so that'll start you out with a 4.1. Very nice. So, yeah, it, it was definitely Hell's Bells that he came into when he would come out of the bullpen at home. And uh, this is one description of it. Padres fans rising and roaring in Pavlovian fashion upon hearing the first bell toll. (laughs) The foreboding bonging like something out of Hitchcock as Hoffman enters slowly stage right. Very nice. Wow, Pavlovian. Boy, whoever wrote that needs a raise. That's good stuff. (laughs) All right, so uh, you're at 4.1 out of the gate. Next, you have got a good pitcher for the White Sox. It's Wilson Alvarez. Yeah, Wilson uh, Lefty, I believe. He was always solid. Wilson Alvarez, 14 years in the big leagues, 1997. Uh, Let's see, he spent half the time with the White Sox, and then he was traded to the Giants. I think that was the fire sale, wasn't it? Yes. I think he was uh, included in that. Overall for the year, he went 13 and 11 with a 3.48 ERA and a 124 ERA plus. All of that equates to a war of 3.6. But he does have two and one zone. So Uh, I will take that as just a 3.5 for you. That'll bring you up after two cards, though. You're at 7.6. Good start. Yeah, that's a good start. Uh, let's see. I mentioned the fire sale when the White Sox just said, we're we're like four games out. We're done. Uh, let's see. He ended up going with Danny Darwin and Roberto Hernandez to the Giants. And let's see. Players that the Giants got or that the uh, White Sox got back that ever made it to the big leagues. Keith Folk and Bob ha- Bobby Howry. That was <laughs> hmm. Trade didn't quite work out for them. As well, much. yeah. All right, here you got another guy with the White Sox, also a member of the A's, also a member of the Mariners, also a member of the Yankees, and uh, on Seinfeld, it's the Bull, Danny Tartable. Danny Tartable. Power hitter, tough out. So let's see, uh, Danny Tartable, 97 was his final year in the big leagues, 14 years. You remember who he was with his final year in the big leagues for three games? I wish I did, but I don't. (laughs) If you would have said the Philadelphia Phillies, I would have said you're cheating because I don't think anybody remembers that. (laughs) Three games with them in 1997, so you're not going to get anything here, I assume. Oh, that's good. A minus minus 0.1 war. So I'll take that for you. He'd bump you down to a 7.5. Of course, Danny Tartable's been mentioned on this team, on this team, on this podcast, many times for... uh, being on Seinfeld twice, also on an episode of Married with Children, where we've talked about that episode. It happened during the uh, 94 uh, strike. Uh, all right, next you have got, oh, wow, you've got third baseman for the Rockies. I remember this guy was great as a Rocky, great as uh, a member of the Atlanta team as well. It is Vinia Castilla. Yeah, Vin, boy, I haven't thought about him in a while. He was a solid ball player. Well, you've thought about him because we did, remember we did an episode a while ago about walk-up themes. And yes. uh, I could have sworn that his walk-up theme when he was with uh, Colorado and Atlanta uh, was about pants. But it uh, it was not. It was about a ball, which was That's his right. name. <laughs> Pantolino. I thought it was like, pantalone. 
Uh, let's see. In 1997, 159 games. He played a lot. He hit 304, had a 115 OPS plus, 40 home runs. Very nice. About two years in a row, he hit 40 home runs and 113 RBIs. Exactly. Woo. Very nice. Let's see. All of that equates to a 3.1 war. He does have sunglasses on, but he also has two and one stirrups. So that's not going to help you out there, but you will get 3.1. That'll bring your total up to 10.6. All right, next we are going to move on to, oh, this guy has got uh, one of your favorite players, uh, young players in the game, who plays for the Pirates. But uh, here he is with the Yankees' third baseman, Charlie Hayes. Charlie Hayes, oh yeah. Let's see, in 1997, he was still with the Yankees, still played a lot, 100 games. Hit 258, uh, 90 OPS+. plus. All of that equates to a war of 0.5. Uh, nothing on this card is going to get you anything. All right. Why do you always get my favorite catcher of all time? I don't understand. Because he's this. my buddy, you know? Yeah, but I, I really like Terry Steinbach. <laughs> all right. So Steinbach, I mean, we seem, I think we pull Terry every year or uh, every week. In 1997, he was 35 years old. His first year, not as an Oakland Athletic. Went and f- played his final three years back in his home state of Minnesota. I mean, these are these are typical Terry Steinbach numbers. Never hit for much average. He had a little bit of pop. He was mainly that solid veteran catcher behind the plate. And that will get you a positive .6. He is wearing a sweatband, though, with his jersey number on it. So that'll get you another tenth of a point and get you a .7. Bring you up to 11.8. Sandy caught two no-hitters during his career. Of course, the one with Dave Stewart in 1990 in Toronto for the A's, and then also with Eric Milton when he was with the uh, with the Twins. Hmm, there you go. Didn't realize he had caught two. All right, next you have got a uh, pitcher for Cleveland. It is Danny Graves. Well, I don't remember a lot about Danny Graves. That name is very, I mean, I remember him, but I don't know why I remember him so much. Danny Graves played for 11 years in the big leagues, um, was an all-star twice. 1997, he spent time with Cleveland and Cincinnati, but played a total of 15 games. So I don't think you're going to get much here. Uh, mm. Actually, you can get a minus 0.5 war. I like that. Ouch. This card is definitely taken in spring training. Uh, he is wearing the number 69, uh, so that's good. Also, he's got like a sweatshirt on underneath, like... You know, I mean, I guess back in these days, you kind of wore some baggy undergarments if you were wearing sleeves. This looks like he's going to get caught up in it, though. All right. Uh, you've got another Oakland Athletic. This is like my, my kind of pack. Here it is. But this guy went on, uh, just like Charlie Hayes, to win a World Series with the, uh, with the Yankees. It is Scott Brocious. Ferocious. Scotty Brocious. Scott Expiala Brocious. Good defensive third baseman, had some pop, didn't hit for a lot of average. Let's see, yeah, he hit, uh, well, actually, in, in 1996, one year prior, he hit 304. But in 1997, he hit 203 and had a 53 OPS plus. Ouch. Yeah, I think I'm going to like this for you. He hit, was in 129 games, just had an awful year, struck out 102 times. That is going to... Now, his defense, you're right. He did win a gold glove one year, not this year. But this all all equates to a war of minus 0.1. That's it. 
That's it. Wow. And he's got eye black on, so that wipes that out, and you get a you get a zero. Nice. I'll take it. Of course, in the 1998 World Series, was named MVP. Yankees uh, beat the Padres and uh, the aforementioned Trevor Hoffman that year. Next, you have got another catcher, uh, another Oakland Athletic. (laughs) Now, I vaguely remember this guy. Vaguely. It is George Williams. Wow, you got me on that one. I don't recall a George Williams. So let's see. George Williams played for four years in the big leagues. Three of it was with Oakland. This is your backup catcher in AAA. George Williams, uh, 97. He got into 76 games with Oakland. Brett Main was their main catcher that year. Hmm. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, let's see. He hit 289. Not bad. Had 22 RBI, three home run, a 111 OPS plus. That's going to get you a 1.7. Wow. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to help you, but uh, 1.7 is not bad for George Williams. It's unexpected. All right. So you're at your final card now. You are at 13 even, so you need 11 and a half here to catch me. I'm feeling pretty good, but you've got a good card here. You've got pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chan Ho Park. Hmm, going to be a tough one. Yeah, now is he going to be able to net you 11 and a half points? I'm guessing not. Let's see, Chan Ho Park, 17 years he appeared in the major leagues. 1997, this was a good year. 14 and 8, an ERA of 3.38, had 166 strikeouts and 192 innings. That equates to a 115 ERA plus. That equates to a war of 3.5. Nothing else on this card is going to get you anything else, though. So close, but no cigar. Yeah, we battled back, but uh, came up very short. Yeah, so I'm going to get a rare win, bring my total up to six. You are at nine, so 69, very nice. Uh, All right, so that's going to wrap up another episode of Wax Packs Heroes. That's an awesome job, guys. Way to go. I'm going to give my guys the day off and no early BP or infield tomorrow. With that, we're going to start to wrap up another episode of the show. I'd like to remind you that you can find us throughout the week all over the internet. We're on social media at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can also find us on YouTube, on Twitch, uh, pretty much anywhere else. Like I said, we're going to do some more of these rewatches like we did on Twitch and YouTube. It was a lot of fun to sit back and watch these things. Uh, we will keep you updated and hopefully give everybody a, a week's heads up. I think, Mark, we should try to do one over the holiday season when everybody is sitting at home with their family wishing they were doing anything else. Maybe we can get everybody to come join us for an hour and, and watch us talk about some old baseball. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it does. I've got some good stuff we can watch, too. Uh, Mark, we also have an email address if you want to uh, have them get a hold of us that way. Sure. If you're old-fashioned like me and you like the electronic mail, you can write to us at two strike noise at gmail.com. Don't use the number. Use the letters, TWO strike noise at gmail.com. Exactly. And uh, as I mentioned, we do have, if you want to go look on YouTube, we've got some videos up from our interview with Bobby Valentine, an unedited version, uh, as well as uh, some enhanced graphics with some stuff that we did. I was bored and and just playing around (laughs) in After Effects and Premiere. So if you want to watch that, go ahead and do that. Uh, We appreciate it. If you want to like and subscribe, anything you see that has our name on it. We really appreciate it. It helps us all out and uh, tell some friends. 
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. And we'll see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 